Good morning, brothers and sisters. Happy Sunday. It's a uh, joy to continue with you all in a series on gospel contentment. We took uh, last week a break from the series uh, to go enjoy some family time um, over Thanksgiving. Continued in your uh, teaching with Pastor John on scripture um, in context. Today we're going to continue looking at gospel contentment in our lives. And I want to recap briefly uh, based on what we talked about with our our first week looking at it, uh, the gospel contentment, looking at the reason why God has us here, understanding um, really in light of the gospel, what is the purpose of our existence here on earth, what's the purpose of our existence in the place and the experiences that we're going through right now, and, and why are we still here? Why does God use us? And understanding that we have great satisfaction in being mindful of the purpose for which God created us. And we're going to continue that today in looking at gospel contentment, specifically in relationships. And uh, as we begin this uh, continuation of a series, we'll be looking at contentment over the course of this Sunday and the following two Sundays as well. I'm going to just confess freely that I did not select this topic because I am an expert in it. And um, drawing near to God's word and drawing near to the series um, this morning, I am continually reminded of our dependence on the Holy Spirit to be sanctified. So um, for those who know me and love me, thank you for actually staying in the room while we preach the sermon. Um, I'm preaching it to myself first. And uh, so with that confession in mind, let's go before the Lord and just ask him to, to work this into our hearts, into our relationships. Father God, we uh, come into your presence grateful um, for the invitation, for being able to come boldly before your throne, knowing that it's only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ that we can do so. Pray that we would do that, and in, in doing so, we would find great joy in the restored relationship that we have with you and the, the possibility for restored relationships we have here um, with the world around us, Lord God, because of what you've done for us. May we be um, built up and filled with joy because of the victory that is, in, uh, uh, that is ours because of Christ Jesus. May we find contentment and satisfaction in our relationship with you alone and our relationship with you first and foremost, and that that would then spill over into all of the relationships that you've entrusted to us. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through the text that we'll be looking at today, and we thank you and praise you in advance for your hand in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the uh, kind of phrases that I left, uh, left off with in our last um, time together in the topic was that the purpose of life is to enjoy God, not the purpose of God is to enjoy life. And uh, the key phrase that I want to leave you with today, besides the ones that Paul will share with us, is that, um, as we've heard many times, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And of course, we all know that's a, a John Piper quote. And uh, I want to have that kind of be in the, in the forefront, knowing that as we look at gospel contentment in our relationships, the only way that that is possible is by first having satisfaction in our relationship with God. The whole idea of contentment, contentment means basically satisfied. 
if we are satisfied in our relationship with God, that's going to spill over into all of our other relationships. So just keep that in mind. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I want to explore the idea again of, of discontentment in the area of relationships. The idea of, of satisfaction is uh, one that we all struggle with. We uh, always want to be satisfied and to find um, happiness and fulfillment in the world in which we live right now. That's paradigm. YOLO, you only live once. If it doesn't make you happy, don't do it. Discontentment is evident in friendships. It's often uh, said that uh, you know, friendships will kind of change in different seasons based on your needs and where you're at in life. And, and if we stop and think about that in light of the gospel, that's pretty fickle, right? We pick our friends based on whether or not they, they meet our needs. And of course, in, in marriage, discontentment is uh, um, a main destroyer of families and homes. If there's not that he makes me happy or she makes me happy, we see the the implications of that discontentment in relationships and marriages all around us. We also see that in, in family life. There's often a set of expectations of how my family should meet my needs. And that robs us of that joy and that contentment that would be ours in understanding the purpose of that relationship in view of the gospel. We also see that in church life. There's uh, lots of, of sarcasm out there with Babylon B and me church and picking a church that makes you most happy. We've seen signs for churches that say, we guarantee you're in and out in 60 minutes. Um, we've uh, laughed about churches that have uh, theme parks and ways for kids to get into Sunday school on a slide and all sorts of things, right? But ultimately, we've, we've missed and we've looked past the purpose of our relationships, and the gospel purpose in those relationships. And once we start looking at those things for our own purposes of satisfaction, <laughs> we're automatically heading down that road of discontent. And so I would plant this with you. There are two main reasons that I see that God has intended us to have relationships with other people. It would be really interesting if God had started creation, and he would have created this beautiful garden, and he would have made Adam and just stopped there, right? Just Adam and God. Doesn't that sound nice? But, but God decides that he would also create Eve and he would also create the system by which they would reproduce and they would have families and they would have tribes and they have nations and they have all these different communities and you have all these human relationships. That's part of God's design. And so I would say that one thing that relationships teach us is that they teach us about the covenant relationship that God desires to have with us. Throughout scripture, in order to help us in our, in our insignificance and in our shortcomings, understand the relationship that God wants to have with us, he uses human relationships as an example of that. He refers to himself as father and us as children. He refers to himself as the, the bridegroom and us as the bride. He refers to um, all different types of human relationships to help us understand what our relationship with him ought to look like. And secondarily, he uses our human relationships to help us drive others to a closer relationship with him. So the human relationship allows us to understand the relationship that he wants to have with us, and in turn, he gives us the opportunity to interact with other people in order for them to be drawn into relationship with him. If those two things are at the, the foundation of our understanding of why we have relationships and not our personal satisfaction, we will find some gospel contentment in that. As a, as a backdrop for this uh, 
teaching and this learning and this uh, self-preaching on contentment, a, a couple of texts have been really uh, rich. Um, first, of course, is the book that I shared with you and mentioned to you last week about Christian contentment. That's also based on uh, Jeremiah Burroughs' teachings, The Rare Jewel of Christian Content, a Puritan collection of sermons. And all of that, I find, is set with the backdrop of the book of Philippians. And so I'd like to kind of begin looking at a few different points for us to dwell on the purposes of our relationships and the the gospel-centered design of our relationships by reading through Philippians chapter 2. So we'll start at the beginning, we'll read through this, and then I want to share with you some other verses that will help bring us back to a point where we're reminded of and convicted of the importance of having gospel contentment in our relationships. Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I shortly myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your, minister, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. Not only to him, but I me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, 
and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What a rich chapter full of gospel and full of gospel contentment. That chapter has one of the most beautiful and succinct messages of the gospel as Paul puts together what is commonly viewed as a hymn about the deity of Christ, about what Christ has done for us. And, and as I look at relationships and I look at this idea of gospel contentment in relationships, it gives me some comfort that Paul himself uh, struggled in relationships. We know that there were times where he had conflicts and he opposed Peter. We know that he had a little uh, tiff with John Mark and sends him on his way. And he had other times where there were, were conflict in his relationship. But Paul, as he does so beautifully, says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he goes back in this letter to the Philippians and, and as he's trying to help them deal with discontent and deal with conflict in their congregation, he points them to the supreme example of Christ. And no better place for us to, to begin that in our own lives is looking at the example of Christ. As sort of a, a self-assessment, perhaps you don't feel like you have issues with discontent in your relationship right now. I would say that um, there are three things that should probably be kind of key indicators for us to look at in relationships. First of all, comparison. Do we compare others with ourselves? Do we look at social media and look at how other people live and automatically sort of compare our relationships to how they live or where they go on vacation or how they dress? Or, or are, is there comparison in relationship? The second thing that we need to look for is contention. Do we have sources of, of frustration in a, in a pattern in our relationships? Maybe it's not... Uh, contentment in, in, it's not discontentment in a way that you could label it outwardly, but look for signs of contention. Are there frustration? Is there, there disagreement? Maybe it's with a coworker. Maybe it's with somebody at church. Maybe it's with somebody in your own family that you got together with over Thanksgiving. The third thing to check for in your relationships is that of self-centeredness. Right? Are there things where you're looking for your own needs to be satisfied and not the needs of the other? I'm not sure how you're doing on this quick self-assessment, comparison, contention, and self-centeredness, but I'm ready to sit down now. <laughs> Paul begins the second chapter of Philippians with just this call to action. And keep those three things in mind, the comparison, the contention, and the self-centeredness. And here's what he says. I'm going to read these first few verses again. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be wrath. Doesn't that put it all in view? Isn't that the supreme example of, of God becoming flesh to dwell among us so that we might have a right relationship restored with him and for that in turn to spill over and affect our horizontal relationships, the relationships that we have with others? 
but there's some instructions in terms of our view in order for us to reap the full benefit of that restored relationship with God. The restored relationship with, with God for those of us who are in Christ has been given to us. So why do we then sometimes lack that same gospel harmony in the relationships we have on a human plane? Simply because of that. Are we putting others as more significant than ourselves? Are we living our lives with that humility? And there's a, a few verses that I want to share with you that um, I just kind of prayed through. Going back to our, our first week, the why, why are we here? The same question has to be asked, why are we in these relationships? And so the, the next slide here, it, it's, it's a long list, but I'd like to go through these that just give us a few reminders from Scripture as to how and why God designed these human relationships so that if we have that in view, we can be corrected in our focus and be restored to that gospel contentedness in our relationships. The first thing is friendship. There's tons of, of verses in the Bible about friendship, and one that comes to mind is, is this one, Proverbs 17, uh, 17, 17, that says, a friend is for adversity, for hard times, right? A friend is not somebody that you just enjoy the, the fun moments of life with, but friendships mean standing with people during difficult times in their life. And, and oftentimes we might look at a friendship as, what are we getting out of the relationship? I have to confess to you guys, one of the things that, that Jennifer and I have, have enjoyed coming back to San Diego is that um, many times our relationships on the missions field were about pouring into other people. And so selfishly, it's like really great to have people here that are pouring into us. But if it stopped there, we would be robbed of some of the contentment that is ours by pouring into others. So we should seek balance in, in our relationships and make sure that, that our relationships are also being mindful of serving our friends. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider your friend better than yourself. The book of Ephesians, a, a masterpiece on explaining our relationship with Christ and our relationship with others. We're going to look at two verses together, um, kind of at the same time there. We'll start with um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And I'm going to read just into the first part of chapter 6. If you're lacking contentment in any of your human relationships right now, let the word of God work this into your thinking this morning. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit, should submit in everything to their husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their own wives as their own bodies. He, loves his wife, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, 
and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I think we covered a lot of bases there, right? If we, if we look back and we, we check our, our relationships for compliance with Philippians chapter 2, looking for that humility, looking for that imitation of Christ and him relinquishing his position to restore a relationship with us, and we look at how Paul paints this in the book of Ephesians, there's a lot of, of gospel a lot of reminder of how those relationships ought to be stewarded and, and the purpose of those relationships. If you look quite clearly, the, the relationship between, um, uh, in a marriage context, for example, is spelled out that it's about mutual sanctification and not mutual satisfaction. If we live all of our relationships based on the satisfaction mantra like the world does, we'll miss out on the opportunity to have the contentment. The contentment comes from living out the relationship according to the design that Christ has established for us. And praise God, the word of God reminds us through that, through and through. We see it in Ephesians, we see it in 1 Corinthians, we see it in Colossians. Let's look also at the Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 12 and then um, we'll skip ahead towards verse 18. Verse 12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Shall I continue through there? It's all good. We should just read the whole book of Colossians. Bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husband, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, and not for men." knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. That text warns against um, a harshness, uh, an exasperation of a father towards his children. It, it talks about the relationship between an employee and an employer. It talks about a whole smattering of human relationships and those human relationships are often frustrating or full of contention, full of comparison, full of frustration for us. But when viewed in light of the gospel, it's full of forgiving one another. It's full of messages of humility and patience and harmony. And so if we can keep that in view of when we're 
having these daily interactions with one another, we'll find gospel contentment in those things. Let's also go to uh, 1 Corinthians. We'll be a little bit ahead of our, our study here, so we'll get to be reminded of again probably in maybe March, guessing here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This uh, text here in particular focuses on the satisfaction that ought to come from being a part of the, the body of believers. The relationships that we have here as a, as a, as a church being honest, if we, if we watch our interactions with one another, we sort of sometimes drift to talk to the same people when we're here in the fellowship. Sometimes our, our weeks involve intersecting with the, the same people, and we don't often have the joy of getting to know people outside of our, our, our little circles, right? And so I would say that we will find even greater satisfaction in our, in our life as a church if we keep these things in view, not just in the sense of, okay, well, we're going to avoid somebody we have conflict with, but also with broadening our view of those we interact with. The, um, the multi-generational aspect, the, the multi-ethnicity aspect, all of those things were things that God designed to bake into the church for our improved understanding of his covenant relationship with us. So let's look at this text together. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. As we hear others um, talk about their church relationships and how they move from one church to another because something wasn't meeting their needs or the, the preaching or the kids' ministry or whatever, be mindful that God has brought our body of believers here so that we may understand our covenant relationship with him, that we may worship him, that we may serve each other, and not that we ourselves are satisfied and having all of our desires met. It's not me church. It's his church, and we get to be a part of it. And in understanding that, as Paul paints it here to the, to the church in Corinth, we find gospel contentment as a body of believers. One of the other um, facets of, of relationships that I want to include in here is um, a set of relationships with people that perhaps we would otherwise not choose to have a relationship with, right? So your family, you're kind of like born into it, right? But we also have relationships like jobs, like coworkers, right? We don't always get the, the opportunity to, to choose our coworkers, but God has ordained and put us into those relationships for a purpose. And I want to I touch on that really briefly. Jeremiah Burroughs actually does that and uh, brings up a really interesting example from the Old Testament that I'd like to look at with you. Um, the, the context of this quote, and I'll read it because I have to read everything from Jeremiah Burroughs five times. I'm really, for those of you who, um, like me, struggle with Puritan literature, um, I, I've actually fallen asleep with this book in my lap probably more than I read it this week, but I'm doing my best. Um, but 
it's a collection of sermons, so it's a little bit disjointed anyway. And then also you throw in the fact that the language was written a couple of hundred years ago. Um, it's, it's a bit challenging, but one of the things that um, Jeremiah Burroughs says with the context of relationships with perhaps enemies is that even those God has permitted for a particular reason. So we don't get the opportunity to just write people off and say, you know what, I'm not going to deal with you anymore. Right? And, and here's the example that Burroughs gives. He says, though they are men who bring this cross on you, yet they are God's instrument. God has a hand in it, and they can go no further than God would have them go. This is what quieted David when Shimei cursed him. God has a hand in it, he said. Though Shimei is a base and wicked man, yet I look beyond him to God. So do any of your friends deal injuriously with you and wrongly with you? Look up to God and see that this man is but an instrument in God's hand. What an interesting, interesting quote, and I had to do a little research about Shimei. So I'll leave you with a little homework to do on your own, but if you would just go with me briefly to 2 Samuel chapter 16. I want to point out David's attitude, as Burroughs states here, with regards to someone who is overtly wishing him ill. This is 2 Samuel chapter 16, starting at verse 5. It says, When King David came to Behurium, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Jera. And he came, and as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on all of you, the, on you all, the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more may this Benjamin leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, and the Lord will repay me with good for all his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road, while Shimei went along on the hill opposite him and cursed him as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. What an interesting story where we've got a heckler, right? This guy has, is following King David on his journey and he's throwing rocks and he's cursing him. And David rightly understands that this is being permitted by God. And one of the unique things about being um, a part of this body of believers is that we have been well instructed and we are learning well about the sovereignty of God. And so we recognize that, that not only does God have these relationships to, to teach us about the covenant relationship with him, but he also ordains other relationships for the purpose of us pointing others to Christ. And so if you have a, a few difficult relationships that you would probably personally be more satisfied in life without, thank God for that because God has ordained that you would have that relationship. For your own homework, you can figure out how Shimei's uh, cursing of David ends up 
<clears throat> I won't spoil it for you. You can uh, figure out what happens to Shimei later. Um, the, the last text I want to look at related to this particular topic of dealing with relationships that are unsatisfying to us um, come from the mouth of, of the God-man himself. Luke chapter 6, starting at, at verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Praise for, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to, them, give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil." Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. If that doesn't address dissatisfying relationships, I don't know what does. What a clear instruction from Christ. And again, that takes us to Paul's reminder of what Christ has done for us to restore that relationship with us. The last thing I want to point out, I wish we had more time. There's so many, so many ways to tie this back to contentment. Going back to Philippians chapter 2. Next week we'll, we'll touch on a um, portion of this chapter that we're going over briefly with regards to specifically the sin of complaining. But I want to point out how this chapter ends. If you look at verses 19 and on, Paul talks specifically about two people. He talks about Timothy and he talks about Epaphroditus and he talks about um, the relationship between them and the church in Philippi. And I see so much of that gospel-centered relationship in this message. What Paul is, is going to uh, instruct them is he's, he's talking about sending these men that he loves, that he's invested in, at a cost to him, right? He's giving up those that he wishes to be with so that they can be gospel servants, what Paul has seen his role as, he, he talks about the relationship between a father and a son. And Paul finds great joy in the fact that he has been used by God to prepare others to go out and to, to do kingdom work. And so for me, I've been reminded this week and looking for and seeking um, to understand and be reminded of the gospel purpose of each of my relationships. God has us in relationships with other people to prepare them to be used mightily by him in their work. For those of us who are parents, that's, that's preparing our children to go and serve God. Not for our kids to, to be perfectly like we want them to look, right? So that, so that it makes us look good or so that it satisfies us. No, our purpose in that parenting focus is to prepare them to serve God. And the same in our marriages. Again, I can't say it again. It's not about, in, in, in the church, it's not about a mutual satisfaction. It's about a mutual sanctification, 
And for us as a church, praying and, and pondering what it is that God has for us, our relationships all ought to look like preparing others to go out and to do gospel ministry. And praise God for this example that Paul gives us as he writes to the church at Philippi. So let's conclude with, with this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him and we are most aware of why he's given us those relationships. Every relationship we have is to remind us of the relationship that he has with us and the relationship that others are invited into because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's the gospel. May our contentment and our relationships be founded on that. And may God uh, continually work in our hearts so that that brings us joy. We see Paul talking about pouring himself out. He was most satisfied in God, and therefore his, his relationships are just full of that gospel contentment. May that be true in our lives this week. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you um, for the, the completeness, the holiness, the perfection of your word. We thank you that your word spoken to us speaks so keenly to our condition. Our, our sin is so accurately diagnosed and our remedy is so clearly prescribed in your son Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, that you humbled yourself. You came to dwell among us to allow us to have a restored relationship with you and in turn to have a restoring relationship with those around us. God, may you give us great contentment and satisfaction in understanding the purpose of each and every relationship we have this week. Sharpen us, Lord God, that we might be encouragers and that we might signal others towards the restoration that comes only through the saving work of your son, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.